0: Welcome to Towards Leadership from Leadership Letters, I'm Lizzie Bentley Bowers. An effective, curious, compassionate, decisive and resilient leader is able to serve the needs of their organisation, their community, themselves and indeed the wider world in a way that's about thriving and about sustainability in both the individual and global sense. It's leaders that are equipped to go towards anything and everything their world of work presents to them that will contribute to better, happier, sustainable and empowered workplaces. And it's our mission to help you do that. In today's episode of Towards Leadership, we take more of a dive into some thoughts and ideas arising from hearing theatre director, Sean Turner, talking in our most recent episode of our sister podcast, Leadership Letters. Really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm making sure that I'm creating a group that will have a great synergy, that will work together well, that 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 um, you know, people that I am excited to have in a room together. I'm very lucky that I, I get to hand pick teams in that way, which I don't think, you know, everybody can do, or everybody has <laughs> quite so much quite such a pool of talent to, to choose from to do that. So let's start where it all starts. Sean talked about the importance of casting, which for you might be the interview. How do you get the right people in the right roles? There are many ways you might get help with that recruitment process, depending on the size of your organisation and the other people involved. And there's the question of the audience you then are for the person you interview. The responsibility you have for putting people into roles where they will thrive, not necessarily because they already know everything there is to know, but because they have what they need to grow in the conditions created by your organisation and your teams. I think this idea of audience is an interesting one. Theatre is producing something for an audience. And at work, we are an audience so much of the time. So with interviews in mind, I wonder how much time do you invest in being a good interviewer, an inclusive interviewer, a great audience once you're in the interview. When leaders take a few moments to prepare themselves to be an audience, it has the potential to transform people's experience of speaking. Not because you have to agree with everything, but because if someone is speaking towards warmth and curiosity rather than judgment, it's far more likely to bring out the best in them and far more likely to give you the best understanding of how they will fit with your organisation. We all know what it's like to walk into a room and feel an atmosphere or even maybe outright dislike. And when we feel that, or maybe even see a look on someone's face, our energy and our focus are diverted whether we like it or not to keeping ourselves safe, which doesn't necessarily equate to being at our best. So if you want someone to do badly, the chances are they will. If you're not taking joint responsibility for how they do, the chances are you won't get as much information as you could. An uncomfortable truth sometimes, and we're all human, is that it might be very satisfying to be right, but it might not always be in the best interests of the business or relationships. This isn't about being soft, it's about enabling people to be at their best. And there are of course multiple benefits to people performing at their best. Every time you are an audience of any kind, you have an opportunity to listen with curiosity, positive intention and support. You have an opportunity to judge the content, not the person. You have an opportunity to show your appreciation for effort, even if you disagree with the content. You can offer perhaps a reassuring smile Attitudes are contagious and very quickly create atmosphere. So what are people catching from you, especially if you're the leader in the room? Judgment that closes down or curiosity that opens up? Often people who are working with me on overcoming nerves say that it's what they expect from the audience that has the biggest impact on that. And what they expect from their audience often comes from experience. So the more we create better audiences for people, the more people will feel confident, not only with you, but in other settings too, in presenting and in talking, and the more they will get to show what they can offer. In a TEDx talk by the inventor, Don Smith, he mentions how receptive the range of people he took his invention to were. And in being a receptive audience, in their way, they contributed to the furthering of an idea that could save lives. Of course, it's Don that has driven the transformation from idea to invention, but who knows? If it hadn't been for those audiences and the energy, encouragement and inquiry that came from them then perhaps the idea would just have stayed an idea. In another episode of Leadership Letters Tanya Mawaha talked about the impact of an inclusive interview process. So there's so much to dive into and think about in the way you go about your equivalent of casting a show. I was also struck by how much of what Sean said was about connection in some way He talked about how the outcomes, the outcomes being an artistically and commercially satisfying product, have their foundations in the bonds that are forged in the rehearsal room. And we talked about how those bonds are formed quickly. And I also asked him about embracing any sense of that being forced or false, because everybody knows and respects that that bonding has to be done. So that notion of forced fun is one people can often be a bit resistant to, and I get that. some teams struggle to get past their perceived awkwardness of doing that kind of work and yet when someone like me is there and insists that you do it any awkwardness soon passes i think partly that's to do with having someone there reminding you why it matters partly perhaps to do with being held to account but it is absolutely something that you can do for yourselves and as leaders you can be prepared to role model pushing on through that awkwardness in order to reap the benefits. So if you're a leader, who's a bit resistant to that kind of activity, or you have team members that are, here are some of the many, many reasons to embrace it so that you can remind yourself of them or share them perhaps as a bit of motivation. So increased connection is the number one reason. Also increasing the chances that you'll hear everyone's voice. And both of these in turn, Increasing the chances that you'll have more useful disagreement, that you'll hear views and opinions that differ and increase the quality of the decision making. We've talked before about the work of Patrick Lencioni and his really useful description of productive conflict and how it's important for teams not to be at the mercy of what he calls artificial harmony, as well as knowing how and when to move on from disagreements when they have them. Another reason to spend more time on the relationships in your team is your understanding of each other's strengths, what you turn to each other for. And of course, that overall sense of team, the energy you get from shared purpose and commitment to each other, as well as to your cause. So how to do it? There are many ways. Here are three for today. One idea is to share the intention of doing this kind of work. So using the reasons that we've just given you, maybe some more reasons, To have a discussion about embracing the awkwardness. To have a discussion about doing the kinds of things that are about connection in order to reap the benefits. Transparently saying, we're going to do this, we're going to push through the awkwardness, and this is how we're going to do it. That can really free you if it feels a bit odd or clunky to dive straight on into whatever activity it is you've chosen. Another thing you can do is to review your meeting schedule. In order to create time perhaps in a different environment or over a meal with a different kind of agenda so maybe sharing one or two moments in your career so far that have had significant impact on you sharing three four or five images that say something about the things that matter to you the rest of the team can then choose one that they ask you more about in a harvard business review article about building real relationships in a hybrid working world gorick ng suggests all sorts of things that you can do including creating opportunities for conversations where you share goals, share progress and share struggles. A quick search on the work of Jane Dutton and high quality connections, and you'll find a ton more resources on why it matters to create these kinds of connections and how to go about doing it. So let's head to our Read, Watch and Listen to recommendations. The to read recommendation for this episode is a psychological safety classic The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson. It's a book I return to time and again, as do many of my colleagues and the leaders we work with. Early in this book, Edmondson shares a matrix illustrating the relationship between psychological safety and performance standards, and how low psychological safety leads to apathy or anxiety, and how the combination of high standards and high psychological safety is a learning zone in which she says people can collaborate, learn from each other and get complex, innovative work done. She acknowledges that the work might not be easy, but it is worthwhile. The starting point can be raising your own awareness as a leader to notice what you are already doing well, and perhaps what the signs are that you may have missed that psychological safety could be increased. A leader I worked with, for example, began by choosing simply to pay attention to who spoke and how often and who didn't in their team meetings. This really resonates with what Sean was saying about stepping back and listening and watching and letting things unfold. The key is to get curious, not judgmental about what you observe and to be aware of making assumptions. Speaking less doesn't necessarily mean that someone is unsafe. It could be for a whole host of reasons. The chances are the inquiry will be useful. What do you notice? What useful questions could you ask of yourself and others about what you notice. So the To Watch recommendation is a TED talk by Atul Gawande, it's called How Do We Heal Medicine? This talk is about what surgical teams learned from pit crews, and there's so much that's useful in this talk, it's one I share a lot. And it's one I often share with leadership teams that get on well and are successful, but who know there's some understanding of each other's roles and responsibilities that isn't all it needs to be, for the best collaboration, and who know they aren't getting everything out in discussion that needs to be. Building trust is vital for that, going back to the work of Amy Edmondson and Patrick Lencioni, but also thinking about an everyday checklist, the things you do to get voices in the room, to get joint agreement, to get understanding of what you're there to do and how you'll go about it. And there's also something about the discipline of resetting those fundamentals every time you meet that can be transformative and is well worth the investment of time and perhaps even some discomfort. I'll pop a link in the notes for this episode to a two-minute YouTube clip as well, in which Atul Gawande is being interviewed and he talks about the importance not only of having these checklists, but of understanding why they matter what impact they have and everybody understanding so that they can be on board with the process of doing this work. Black Box Thinking by Matthew Syed is also a great resource for more on those checklists and what I call voices in the room processes that impact aviation and surgery and beyond. And I'm turning to Matthew Syed for the Listen To resource today too. His podcast Sideways and this particular episode is called Top of the Pops. So the music in this episode may or may not be to your taste. I'm not going to lie; a few great tunes in there, in my opinion. Spot a Backstreet Boys, always okay with me. More importantly, though, this was a really interesting insight into the impact of collaboration in a field that is typically highly territorial. So I also talked about some interesting research into the collaboration of research itself, and how that led to collaboration becoming a systematic part of any research. It touches on collaboration between teams as well as within teams and talks about mixing up who you collaborate with. And there's a moment of transformative awareness in the form of a question or observation when Max Martin, who's the subject of this episode, talks about an epiphany moment of thinking, maybe I'm the one that's wrong. So is there anything for you as a leader right now, We're asking yourself a version of that question, maybe I'm the one that's wrong, might open up collaboration that either has felt like it's run its course or maybe even needs to begin. So that's it for today. As ever, you'll find links to everything we've mentioned in the notes that accompany this episode. And a final question for you is who comes to mind if you think about someone who might find something in today's episode useful? If you could pass the link onto them, that would be great. It's genuinely useful to us, as is following so that you don't miss out on future leadership resources. This is Towards Leadership from Leadership Letters. Thank you for joining us and see you soon.